today on Ag News Daily. Okay, so I am actually a fourth-generation rodeo contestant. My great-granddad bulldogs and rope calves. My granddad's a world champion, and my dad won the world in IPRA. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. Our episode today is brought to you by Benadryl and Flonase, as it is peak <laughs> allergy season. And I apologize for uh, my co-host potentially sounding like she's got a clothespin on her nose. Thank you, Tanner. I appreciate that. I wish that Benadryl and Flonase would sponsor us because I could certainly use some this morning. Uh, I should apologize for taking that jab, but it was way too fun. That's okay. So, I appreciated it. It was good. It's a good for the wet noodle to get out of his shell. Uh-huh. Exactly. Now, welcome back, Delaney. We uh, powered through without you again, and Cassie did a fantastic job yesterday keeping us up to date. We nailed our transitions without even knowing what the stories were going to be. So let's see if we can do the same today. Well, that's going to be hard to top, Tanner, because like you said there, I'm a little under the weather this morning. My brain's a little fuzzy, so I'm going to do my best. <laughs> that's all right. I'll hit it first. We did, though, miss a story that was published on Tuesday. So Russian forces have damaged a giant grain terminal complex at the port of Mykolve. I can't remember exactly. I know that that's been pronounced for me early. Uh but in Ukraine. So Europe's top diplomat has confirmed that late Monday, another Russian missile strike contributing to the global food crisis. Russian forces have destroyed the second biggest grain terminal in Ukraine. That is coming from Joseph Borrell, the vice president of Europeans Commission. In light of such reports, uh, this is bad for the image of Putin, who said he was going to allow grains to you know, get through the port and back out. According to Ukraine's South Operational Command, the missile attack came from Russian aviation assets operating over the Black Sea. This is now uh, potentially putting 20 million tons of grain now stuck due to that. So, Tanner, is this another strike? Because we reported on one on Monday that happened over the weekend. This is another one to that same port. Correct. That is correct. Yep. Wow. No, it was a continued continued onslaught is what the article is stating. But uh, the headline where this originally came from uh, was a little bit more dramatic, saying now how many people are on the verge of famine because of this strike. So uh, certainly great impact, not saying that it doesn't have one, um, but the original headline and link to this article started off pretty dramatic. Well, surprisingly, even with the Russian war continuing on, Russia man- excuse me, Ukraine managed to export 1.7 million metric tons of grain in May, primarily, however, over land, which is a quarter of what they did prior to the war using their ports. Overland capacity is about 2 million metric tons, so just shy of kind of total capacity there. But They also mentioned in a comment their agricultural minister said on Monday that Ukraine is not ready to agree to a plan to export its grain by rail across Belarus for shipment via the Baltic Sea to try and bypass Russia's blockades. Zelensky 
told a news conference in the capital of Kiev that there could be as much as 75 million tons of grain stuck in Ukraine this autumn. And Belarus was, you know, intended to be a potential reroute here, but they just said they're not ready to do that yet. Belarus and Russia still are fairly friendly to one another. And so Zelensky said that they're not quite ready to follow this format and help their, he said, quote, friendly neighbors. So um, it sounds like there's a little bit of tension going on there, Tanner. Yeah, it does. Anytime uh, somebody goes over the top, it seems like with adding adjectives to describe neighbors, uh, usually either partially comes in sarcasm or is trying to draw attention. So uh, quite interesting. The uh, writers at agweb.com are questioning if the world is really running out of wheat. So as we reported yesterday on uh, harvest progress of American wheat, the stocks report is stating that we have only stockpiled 33% of the annual consumption. And now Delaney, when we look at this article, it's citing different experts that are stating that number is either too high or too low. So there's a lot of questioning going into this week's global wheat consumption and storage report. Conditions, if you look at this, one analyst says, could be worse than 2007 and 2008, the lowest grain inventory levels that the world has seen in the last 20 years. But uh, it cites again, the two attacks on the port for Ukraine as another issue. And it just continues to lay out, Delaney, that they could potentially be as low as 20% of an annual consumption base and upwards of 50%. So a pretty wide range from analysts that are looking at the actual wheat consumption and stockpiles report. But as we stated, we thankfully here in America have just kicked off our winter wheat harvest season. So uh, as long as we mine and take care of our resources, uh, America should still be okay. But it'll be interesting to watch this unfold on the global market. Well, Tanner, speaking of something unfolding here, Poet, the world's largest ethanol producer, has signed a letter of intent to capture, ship, and store carbon for at least 18 of their ethanol facilities, along with Navigator CO2 Ventures pipeline uh, that would store the carbon in Illinois. Tanner, was Navigator CO2 the one that Bruce Raster was also figuring up a partnership with? So Bruce's is is separate. Navigator okay. CO2 is a, is a different company, um, but together they are working on it. Navigator CO2 would be the one that is, is headed to Illinois. Yep. Got it. Well, it's quite it's going to be quite the pipeline starting upwards into northern North Dakota, gets all the way down into Nebraska. Lots of facilities. Obviously, Poet has lots of facilities in Iowa and a bulk of the pipeline would be located there. But yeah, ultimately, it would get held in Illinois. And they said that this pipeline should be operational, Tanner, by 2025, which is a fairly quick timeline here. I would agree. Um, I had a couple conversations with some of their employees, and uh, as as they continue to work to get the permits, that's the first hurdle, and that is taking a little longer than they had anticipated. So 2025, yeah, still might be quite an aggressive method, but uh, it, if someone hasn't 
read about it or looked up about it, I would suggest you go out. It's just fascinating to learn. If you're if you're tied to agriculture and you have curiosity a little bit, um, go out there and take a look. So yeah, interesting for anybody that wants to look up and learn. Delaney, I went for a short road trip that I talked about yesterday here locally in regards to weather and crop conditions, but have been seen all over Twitter and Snapchat throughout the evening of really bad storms going through southern Nebraska, southwestern Iowa, and another one hitting into Illinois. So severe hail has damaged some areas of southern Nebraska. There's pictures of corn that looks shredded, almost like lettuce, and tornadoes and high winds of up to 80 miles an hour went through southwestern Iowa, damaging farmsteads and buildings, and then more hail back the Illinois direction. So feel for those producers in that area. It doesn't seem like it's going to let up. We've got more rain expected across the Corn Belt. Coming across Tennessee, Ohio, northern Indiana, showers are likely to miss our northern friends you know, uh, up in Minnesota and Wisconsin. But over the next six to 10 days, the forecast is for above normal temperatures. So uh, with that, Delaney, obviously we know the warmer it gets and the more humid it is, the potential for more severe weather. Yeah, in fact, 300 different reports of severe weather damage were reported last night, Tanner. And what's even crazier to me, Tanner, is that there were 500,000 lightning strikes also reported. And I don't really quite understand how they track lightning strikes. I assume they have to have some piece of technology or something that is watching that. Otherwise, how would a human do that? I'm not sure that's possible. And it's happening all over, you know, the U.S. So, yeah, you would have to have some type of a monitoring system because you and I can only see so far. And what if we're looking forward and it happens behind us? So I I just never knew (laughs) that it was tracked. So uh, that's interesting news. It certainly is. And a last piece of news here also on the same lines about water, but a little bit of different news here. EPA Administrator Michael Reagan said that the definition of waters of the U- U.S., a.k.a. WOTUS, that the EPA is currently writing will be complementary to an expected ruling coming down from the Supreme Court in a case covering the scope of the Clean Water Act relative to waters and wetlands connected to large navigable waters or bodies of water. Uh, But according to Bloomberg, the Supreme Court is expected to narrowly define what constitutes WOTUS in this case pending before it, while at the same time here, EPA is coming up with their new definition of what constitutes WOTUS and held three of their 10 roundtables to gather stakeholder input so far. But Reagan said that if the EPA held back waiting on the Supreme Court, it would even further behind on it would be even further behind on the regulation yeah i think we've seen that in more than one occasion that our court system moves slow enough now that there's a lot of proactive uh, i'm not gonna call them educated guesses but uh, a lot of good relationships built up from inside the court system that gives you your direction prior to an official ruling so uh, good to see they're taking a proactive approach because we don't need it to be delayed any longer Absolutely not, Tanner. And let's not delay any longer what the markets were doing in the overnight this morning. Certainly seeing quite a bit of strength in the overnights as corn, soybeans, and wheat are higher across the board heading into Wednesday morning's opening trade. As you flip over into the livestock markets, we're seeing some strength there as well across the live cattle, cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hog markets. There you go. Well, 
Thanks for joining me again this morning, Delaney. Let's jump into a fun conversation today with our guest. And for today's guest, we are taking a road trip right alongside Slate Wiseman, a steer wrestler from Texas, at least I believe from Texas, right, Slate? Yes, sir. I'm from Texas. So what are you up to today? Man, we are actually going to some rodeos. We will be at Cleburne, Texas this morning and Colvin, Texas tonight. So, Slate, I'm curious, how did you get into steer wrestling? And I assume most of our listeners know what that is, but for those that don't, tell us what that is. Okay, so I am actually a fourth-generation rodeo contestant. My great-granddad bulldog and rope calves, my granddad's the world champion, and my dad uh, won the world in IPRA. For the people that don't know, steer wrestling is when you're riding a horse at 35 miles an hour, and you get off of it for some reason onto a steer that really doesn't want to be touched, and you try to wrestle them to the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not something very many people think about doing, but I'm sure it comes with a huge adrenaline rush when you actually nail your target. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, the, the adrenaline rush is great. I think that's why we all do it. So we're all kind of uh, adventurous, adventurous adrenaline junkies, you know. So, Slate, I assume since you mentioned there that you've had a long family history of doing it, that you grew up around it, you probably watched maybe your dad do it growing up. Is that how you knew that you wanted to do it? Oh, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I watched, actually, my granddad was still bulldogging when I was a kid, and I watched my my dad, my granddad, my uncles, everybody I knew growing up was a bulldogger, so it just kind of come with the territory. So my understanding, just from podcasts that I consume and the TV that I watch, is there's rodeos all over the country. And when you're talking about the sheer amount of equipment that you've got to take with you and your animals, you have to drive to these rodeos, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're actually on the road right now driving to a rodeo. So with that, probably one of your largest expenses are entry fees and fuel bills. Yes, sir. I don't know. Uh, with Bulldoggers, a lot of it's food, too. We are some big boys, and we eat a bunch. <laughs> so the uh, fuel prices having run up lately, has that been affecting everybody? Man, the only way to get around it is uh, entering with a group. Like, there's five of us going together this weekend. Uh, you have to split fuel up, or it'll just run you in the dirt. I mean, they're... Compare the entries from last year to this year, where diesel was two seventy nine compared to five nineteen. I mean, there's half the entries there was last year. There's a lot of guys that are just staying home and not wanting to stick it out, and it's it's just kind of it's been hard on the rodeo industry this year. Now, Slate, you keep using a term that at first I wasn't sure what it meant. I'm still not really entirely sure, but what does what's bulldogging? I, you keep mentioning bulldogging that. and steer wrestling go hand in hand. With uh, like soccer, you can call it soccer or football. It's steer wrestling or, or bulldogging. It's kind of the bulldogging is a slang term. Oh, for it. that's just okay. kind of how. Like if you rodeo, that's just kind of how you go about it. So what does the average bulldogger or steer wrestler, what does that average career length look like? Because as you mentioned, it's a little crazy to jump off of a horse at 35 miles per hour and jump on a steer. 
that probably doesn't agree with a lot of people's bodies for a long period of time. What does the average career look like for a steer wrestler? Oh, it really just depends on the guy. I've known guys that have bulldogs until they were 60, and I've known guys that quit at 30. It's just kind of however nice you are to your body and how well you take care of yourself and don't be too dumb with how you how you make a run and you'll last a while. So for you and what you've been up to, obviously, with a family legacy, what what do you got for goals for the future? What's what's the rest of the summer look like and beyond? Well, that's this year our goals are making the circuit finals here in Texas, the PRCA circuit finals, and then they actually have the, the permit finals in Vegas during the NFR, and we're trying to make the permit section finals, as well as UPRA finals in Dallas, Texas, and we've got we got pretty hefty goals this year. That's great. So to get to those goals for perspective, how many rodeos are you going to have to enter? We've already been to 30. Holy smokes. And how many are left? A whole summer. We've, we've got, <laughs> yeah, we've already, we're at five this week and we've got three in the next couple of weeks. And towards July, we'll be going to at least five a weekend, sometimes wow. six. So, wow. I assume with that many rodeos during the summer, this is pretty much your full-time gig, but what do you do in the off-season? I actually followed in the family footsteps in that aspect, too. I actually drive a truck for my dad. I'm third-generation truck driver. Yeah, when I'm, not, when I'm not driving to rodeos, I'm driving for work. Well, so that, that when we, I first asked that question about fuel prices, really hits home for you year-round, so... Uh, it'll be interesting to yes, see sir. what what we as a nation can get sorted out for where fuel prices head. But, hey, we appreciate you jumping on with us. If our listeners want to follow along with your journey or maybe try to catch up with you guys at one of the rodeos, do you have any social media or any type of website that we can follow? Just pull up uh, Slate Wiseman on Instagram or Facebook and it'll pop me up and I actually tag the guys I travel with quite a bit and you can keep up with us as we go down the road. Awesome. Well, thank you for spending a little bit of time this morning with us and uh, hopefully our listeners tag along. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all. Well, again, a big thank you there to Slate. I tell you what, I already followed him on Instagram, Tanner, and he added me back. He's a very, very nice guy. (laughs) I think that'd be a fun journey to follow. It's always nice having a personal connection when you look at a competitive sport, and uh, especially one that seems to have a lot of motivation himself on doing things well and making a family proud. Absolutely. It's crazy to me, though. You know, I, I certainly don't understand why anyone would want to do that, but I suppose people think that the same about us, Tanner. <laughs> Absolutely right. All of our listeners probably think that about us. So I'd say for now, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.